Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Now, before we get into um, the last part of our last series or part of our series in these next two weeks in Philippians, uh, maybe you've been tracking with Pastor Daniel in the last few weeks or even saw online in his email announcement thinking, talking about um, the year-end giving and what that's all about as we come to, well, the end of the year today. And one of the questions that come up um, every year as this comes in, as you think about December 31st and January 1st is, what if I give my giving today versus tomorrow? Well, just so that you are aware, since today is the last day of the year, your giving that is received tonight will be included on the tax receipt for 2022. And you can, if you do that, obviously that increases your return. So everything that's received here in person, or if you're online, or if you give online, um, that all those things, if you do that today, will be tracked for 2022, unlike tomorrow, where that will be in 2023. So we wanted to make sure that that was clearly articulated for anybody who continues to partner with us financially. You know, as you're thinking about the idea of giving and finances, um, that was probably one of the hardest things for me as a young Christian. I um, came to faith in my late teens, and uh, one of those areas, growing in all these different things, growing in my love for reading the Bible, growing in community, growing in service, growing in my gifts. But the one area that always seemed for me, starting out even into my early 20s, was this idea of my finances. Now, not just the idea of giving, but even just the idea of the overarching concept of trust with God with my finances. And it was interesting because time and time again, God would remind me, you know, just trust me in this. And every single time when I felt that sense that God was saying to trust me in it, I would struggle in those moments But every time, no matter what my position was or how that I would walk through that, God was faithful and he would come through when he said, trust me. It was one of these moments, um, I'm in Bible college and as you do as you go to college and you're trying to kind of piecemeal together your finances and your student loans and all these things, there was this one particular month that I was stressing out as uh, as. As a young believer in, in, my, in my 20s, as a young husband who was also thinking about another person in this relationship, that I was thinking about my studies and I was working as much as I could and my wife was working as well and being able to, to, to support me through school. And I was really struggling in these areas because it was hard to, 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 to make the penny stretch. And there was this one month in particular where it seemed like we were going to be short $1,123, sorry, $1,123. Remember to the, to the penny, to this moment, because I remember thinking, where's that money going to come from? And as I was praying about it, and I was stressing about it, God was saying to me again, trust me, I've got a plan. I don't remember how many times of thinking that when you're stressing about money, where those kind of things come from, that there would be these Sometimes obvious things that you wouldn't think about, like a tax return, or that there could be, you know, uh, some opportunity that's coming forward, or there were things, and there's other opportunities, things like that, and then when I was struggling with finances, that I wouldn't know where that might come from, 
but God would show up. And in this particular instance, he showed up in, in one of the most miraculous ways I'd ever seen. Again, sitting here as a young believer at Bible college, as a young husband, wondering how am I going to supply for my family? How am I going to pay the bills? It seems like we're short this money. And as I was praying and as I was stressing out, God was reminding me, trust me, trust me, trust me. And I knew that he would fall through because he continued to do that. But even in those moments, every single time, I would get worked up. I would get stressed out. I would worry. I would start to plan in my mind, where is this going to come from? How is this going to work? And God would say, just trust. I have it under control. I remember stressing about this and I thought, I needed to clear my mind. And so I was going to go for a walk. And I thought, well, I'm going to go check the mail. And the post office was probably about 30 feet from where we lived at the time. And I walk in and I go to, this, the, to my, my post box, I open up, and there's this letter there just marked with our names on it. Not sure what it is, and looking back, that it's marked back in the hometown that the church that I was saving was there. And then I open it up with this letter and a check for the exact amount that we needed, $1,123.23. And I just started weeping in that moment. I can imagine thinking later about what the post office attendant was thinking as I'm opening this mail and I'm weeping in the post office. But it was just this moment where God showed up. Now it's interesting to me, and I've thought about this a lot because this has always been one of those areas that God continues to stretch me in. Because it is the area that he knows that when I relinquish to him, that I grow closer to him and I need to live in this sense of obedience and trust. And there's two things as I think about it, and, I, and I've mulled over this idea of what is the thing that, that causes me not to want to trust? Well, the first is control. I want to be in control of the details of my life. I don't like to be out of control. I don't like to not know. I like to be able to plan. I like to be able to know all the steps that are going to move forward. And so to not know, to put trust outside of my control it's not something that comes easily to me. And I can imagine it doesn't come easily to some of you. The other thing that was a struggle for me is not only the trust, but also the sense of I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be as well as somebody that doesn't need to rely on these things, doesn't need to rely on others and be able to have my orders in a fair. Now, <clears throat> don't expect money just to show up in your mailbox. Now, that's not what this message is about, and I don't want you to leave this service thinking, oh, if I'm going to pray for that and pray that money will the mailbox, that's not what we're talking about. But, because this only ever happened to me once, but this story does illustrate something about God's heart and using others to take care of our needs and how self-sufficiency can actually go against the purpose of God's, purpose of God in our lives and the lives of others and his purpose for the church. And that might seem counterintuitive, but let me explain. See, the world sees self-sufficiency as a top value. But like many things, in the economy of Jesus, he flips things on its head and flips us towards this idea of being better together. See, self-sufficiency in the world says that I can be my own man or woman, that I don't need anyone else to get by and to thrive in life. Now, today we're going to look at how we can trade in self-sufficiency for something better. Now, you might be asking, but self-sufficiency seems like a good thing. 
Why would we want to be reliant on others? When I mention, when I mention self-sufficiency from here on in, I'm not talking about being a contributing person to society or being able to take care of your own affairs. But what I mean is this. Look at this definition between the difference of independent, codependent, and interdependent. So independent is I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone. Codependent is I need others for all my needs. And then independent is we need each other. We are better together. So as we use the word self-sufficiency in this message, let us see it through this lens. Interdependence says that while we sustain our ability to take care of our own needs, we also say that we are better together. Paul wrestled with this tension as he received support from the Philippian church. Look at what he says here, starting, um, this is chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Sorry, chapter 14. Sorry, chapter 4, verse 14. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing in your account. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. And I am fully supplied, having received from Aphroditus what you provided. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, what's interesting here is Paul commends them for partnering with him, even though he exclaims he didn't need it. See, I read the words of Paul and I, I understand the struggle that he's having. He wants to thank them for the gift. He wants to recognize the partnership that the Philippian church is having with him, but at the same time, He's struggling because he views himself as the spiritual father of this church. And so Paul receives it humbly and receives the gift, but at the same time wants to commend them and and changes it. See, Paul is dancing on this line of commending the action, but not wanting to be a dependent of the church as he viewed himself as that spiritual father. He was humbly moving from the church being in his care towards becoming partners in the gospel with him. So you think even Paul was struggling with that over and over as we see in the scriptures of Paul's story that he constantly mentioned that I took nothing from you. That even though he said, as an apostle, I have that right. I have that right to take a wage, just like all the rest of the apostles. But I choose to be a tent maker. I choose to have a side hustle so that I don't have to take or receive or pull back from the gospel to allow you to have the resources to do what you need. And he took pride in this and he saw this as a spiritual father. But in this moment, you can almost see this internal struggle that Paul is having. That he's moving from not just spiritual father who is caring for the church, but he sees them now as partners as they are growing up and partnering in his mission. See, what's interesting about the story that I started in the beginning 
as I received that check in the mail was the church that I was saved in and the church that I went back to as an adult was also the place that I had received my call to go to ministry. They were the ones that, that, that really affirmed this sense of you need to go back to school and you need to seek out what God has in your life and go into pastoral ministry. And as I was in school and as I was going through those motions and even struggling with the finances, there were people at church who were praying for me and leadership who then said, we want to support what their ministry is. They are an extension of us. And so they had, they had raised up a love offering for us and without even knowing that God was orchestrating to the exact penny in that. See, and I would have struggled in those things and received that gift because it was obviously something from God, but at the same time, struggling in the sense of, one, relying in trusting God, and two, that self-sufficiency of needing others. See, Paul recognized that they were better together. And God uses us, each of us, to provide for one another, and God uses others to provide for us. You know, as I said, that I struggled this idea of self-sufficiency or, or receiving things. It reminds me of a story when I was a teenager, then I think I was my 16th birthday. My friends had thrown me a, a surprise birthday party. I, I, hate, I hate birthday parties. I hate actually being the center of attention. I don't like that at all. And so when, not only am I not aware that this is going to be happening, but they throw me a surprise birthday party, and I have friends from out of town that shows up to surprise me, and so already I'm uncomfortable. And then this interesting thing has happened. I get into this kind of almost like a defensive mode for a moment because I'm, I'm caught off guard a little bit and now they're giving me presents. And I think to myself that, no, 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 I don't, I, don't, I don't want anything. And I actually in that moment rejected their presence. Thinking to myself that I'm being selfless because, well, no, no, I don't, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. And I remember in that moment, there was this moment where God used this to teach me something, to go, how selfish of you to not receive this gift from me. How selfish of you to rob the joy of somebody else giving to you. Though I thought I was being selfless by not receiving the gift, but in reality was being selfish by robbing the joys of others to blessing me. And it makes me think about this question, is it possible that self-sufficiency robs us and others of the joy of giving? So we can't find our full potential in our lives or us as a church by doing this alone. You're going to hear me say this a few times, but I'm going to be like a broken record. We are better together. Instead of self-sufficiency, we have self-giving this mutual interdependent relationship with one another. And this is what Paul was learning in this. That now instead of him giving and only giving, that he now saw them together as partners, both giving and receiving. So there's this interplay in this relationship. You know what's amazing about this? That God actually gives us a beautiful picture of self-giving through the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That there is actually this deep theology of these three Godheads who are both independent, who are both have a, th that, oh, sorry, that are all, three are independent, that all have their own authority, 
but also submit and care for each other. They both give and they receive. They both lead and they all, they're the all, I keep saying both, I'm sorry, there's three, Trinity, they all receive and give, they all lead and follow. There isn't independence from each other, and there isn't codependence of one another, but there's interdependence. There isn't self-sufficiency, but there is self-giving. See, this example of the Trinity shows how we can find joy in giving and receiving together. That we partner together, that we're better together. But not only this, but Paul says something interesting at the end of verse 18. So you read all of these starting again in verse 14. Read all these things about thanking him for the gift and the different things. And he's doing this play on this dance on words. But if you notice in verse 18, he says this interesting phrase. He says, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied of receiving from what you have provided. And then he says, a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about giving, he's talking about money, and he's talking about partnering and these different things. And all of a sudden, it seems like he wedges in this half verse, this half sentence in here. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. This is actually a common term or image used in the Old Testament when speaking about sacrifices towards God. Some examples are Genesis 8.21 or Leviticus 1.9. And this is idea of this, this when, they would, when they would sacrifice an animal and they would give the best fat or the best portion of it, that it would say that it was a pleasant aroma to God. Like think about it in this image. That you're going over to somebody's house and they're cooking a meal and the difference of a wonderfully smelled aroma of a delicious meal versus the one that's burnt and sets off the fire alarm. Like this is kind of the imagery of that, whatever that, 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 that home cooked, that home baked meal that your mother would do. That was that image, but it was surrounding in this idea of sacrificial worship. And Paul uses this imagery inside of this sense of self-giving, of giving, of interdependence, of being better together. So not only do we think that maybe self-sufficiency robs us of others, of us and others of the joy of giving, but is it also possible that self-sufficiency is robbing God of his due worship? It was as if, like, Paul was saying that this is a holy act of worship. That this idea of self-giving, this idea of better together, this idea of giving to each other and receiving is this beautiful act of worship. See, it wasn't that he did not value the gift on its own sake. It's not like that the finances that was supplying to his mission. You've got to remember, Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter, and they're supplying his needs in probably the most dire place in his life. But as we saw last week, talking about that he had found contentment in all things. And so Paul's in this weird space, but it isn't that he, that he doesn't value or appreciate the gift. 
But his greatest joy was that it and the love which prompted it were dear to God. See, Paul's greatest joy in all of this wasn't about the gift itself, but it was about how it brought them as partners for the gospel and that it in itself was dear to God that they would have an act of worship and obedience to be able to be sacrificial in their giving for the mission of the gospel. See, this is what it means when we talk about this idea of giving of our time, talents, and yes, our treasures. It is an act of worship. Maybe you've heard that over the years, or maybe that concept is new to you. When we think about these spaces, the divine place and space, we're able to worship God. Paul himself says in Romans 12 that our lives are like a living sacrifice. That our lives are like a living sacrifice. That everything that we do, that we do it for the honor and glory of God. So when we think about this idea of how does this an act of worship is in everything that we do and how we give to others and receive But if we focus on the giving for a moment here, then we think about how we spend our time. How we utilize the gifts and talents that God has given us for his glory and how we think and steward the finances and treasures and resources that God has given us. These things are not just life principles and understanding or in being obedient in the sense of discipleship, but they're actually an act of worship and can be a pleasant aroma to God. See, we lose out in the deep act of worship by being self-sufficient, independent. We also lose out in the deep supply and riches and promises of God. Look how Paul ends this section in verse 19 and 20. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God or Father be glory forever and ever. So Paul starts with this dance of these words of thank you for the gift. I didn't really need it, but thank you for partnering. And then he talks about this idea of a, of a, a wonderful aroma and worship to God. But then he ends with this idea that not only is it an act of worship, but by the actual act of giving and receiving of sacrificially trusting and moving away from self-sufficiency towards interdependence and trust with God, that we actually open the doors to God's supply into supplying all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, this is, this is really important in this. Because, as I said in the beginning, you know, this message isn't about the money in the mailbox. But the message is about all things, all riches, all glory is found first and foremost in Christ Jesus. Like in Christmas Eve when Daniel was talking about contentment, that contentment isn't found in the circumstances. It's found in Jesus. And all things first and foremost are found in him. There's some interesting words here. Riches, glory, all of our supply and our needs. Is there a physical need in that? Is there something in that? So what is Paul actually talking about here? 
Well, look about how one theologian says, William Barclay, on these two verses. says, Paul lays it down that no gift has ever made anyone poorer. No generosity has ever made anyone poorer. The wealth of God is open to those who love him and love their neighbors. Those who give make themselves richer for their own gifts open to them the gifts of God. See, at the beginning of my message, I said that it was hard at first to trust God with sacrificial giving, with my finances, to be able to trust him to supply all of my needs and his riches, but also to trust him with my finances. But let me say this, that I have never regretted the obedient act of giving or trusting him because I've always had more when I trusted him. Is it possible that self-sufficiency robs us also of God's supply and riches? Now remember that God's supply and riches are not the same in the economy of God. You know, it's interesting to me when you think about this idea of, of taking the risk and trusting and actually giving generously with your finances, with your time, with your talents. But let's focus on finances here because that's the area that feels the most painful because you literally can do the math, right? When you give, you can see what that percentage is, what the money is, what the things that you give. But let me say this, and, and I, have, I have tried as, as the analytical thinker that I am, as a logistical person that I am, I've tried to figure it out. But the reality is this, is that I have always had more with 90% than I've had with 100. That as somebody who has grown first as, a, as a, an early believer, who needed to trust God with little, and then he would stretch me and stretch me and stretch me to the point of, of sacrificially giving to that 10% of my income and sometimes beyond. That every time that as I stepped in that faith, that I would continue to struggle because I know that's an area of struggle. But every time that I trusted, not only did God grow me as a disciple and give me new opportunities, but he continued over and over again to supply my needs, first and foremost, my family's needs in the physical sense, because of that trust, but also in the supernatural, in the ways that it would have never understood because it all anchors in Christ himself. And here's the thing, the math never makes sense. For some reason, always, you have more with 90% than 100. Because in God's economy, he flips things on its head. So here, let me ask this question, or maybe you're thinking to yourself, what happens, when we, what happens when we give? I just want you to, just to take this in and receive it. What happens when we give? Well, when we give, we let go of control and learn to trust God in new ways. We also grow in faith and generosity. I'm sure every one of us wants to be generous to others. But as we trust God in being generous, we grow in our faith grow in our discipleship and our generosity. We also develop deep contentment. Again, thinking about a Christmas Eve, this, and just what was Paul talking about before in this contentment that happens before. That we grow in deep contentment because our trust is not anchored in the things that are out there and the self-sufficiency and the control that we have or in the circumstances in our life but they're anchored in 
the glory in Jesus Christ. Also, God works through our generosity to bless others. That by being generous, either directly to somebody else, or as you give into the mission of God through the local church, you're able to bless others and see lives transformed and people are awakened to Christ, awakened to King Jesus. Their lives are impacted. When you think about the, the report that Daniel had given in all the different areas that we're seeing people come out of working with, with people in the sex trade and them coming out of that and finding freedom, coming out of incarceration, addictions. That it's in places like this, it's in places of that, that, that true hope comes through. And it only happens because of the, the partnership of all of us as we are better together and the partnership of all of us as we lean in in our time, talents, and our resources. And what's the last way that what happens when we give? God shows up in ways that we could never imagine. Grows our borders, gives us opportunities. Grows our faith, stretches us in the sense of trust in, in ways that we could never imagine. You know, and, and maybe you're here and, and, and you've never taken that step, that risk, that challenge to trust God in that way. It isn't something that needs to be a high dive board into a deep end as it needs to simply go, all right, God, what's the one area I can take one step and be able to be, to trust you. And as you trust God and you trust him and he can trust you with little, then those things grow and you take another step and you take another step and you take another step and you continue to grow in those areas. So as we enter into 2023, let us never forget that we are better together. You know, what ways is God leading you to be together with others? What ways are you gifted to give to others? And what ways can you receive and allow others to worship God and serve you through their gifts? And what ways is God asking you to step out in faith with your generosity? Let me give you a couple, let me give you four really simple ways that you could step out in faith in this. The first, first is this, just consistently gather together in worship with others at a campus. Whatever a campus that you're connected with, that you would consistently gather together on a weekend and worship together. Or maybe you're online and you haven't taken that step yet to seek out the campus that might be closest to you and to start gathering with others. The second is to join a team and give and receive. You think about that, that God has wired every single one of us with gifts and talents to be utilized for his mission and purpose to see lives transformed, to make a difference, and even what seems like the most insignificant things have some of the most impactful things in people's lives. The third, to join a Beulah community and again give and receive together. That we were never meant to do life alone, but again, we are better together. That maybe you've been thinking about, I want to venture in community with others, to be able to gather, grow, give, and go together, but you haven't taken that step. That maybe this year is a year that you say enough is enough and I'm joining 
a community. Or the fourth, that you would start giving consistently or maybe start giving for the first time and say to God, show up and show me in this where you will supply my needs and show up in new ways and to grow your giving so it stretches you to rely on God in ways that you never imagined. You know, as I think about this idea that we're better together in so many ways, it reminds me of an earlier part in Philippians that Paul writes in Philippians 2. And I want to just read this passage of Scripture over you like a prayer. And so if you want to just bow your heads and allow Jesus to speak to you through these words, allow his Spirit to come over you and speak to you and what he wants you to say, and where he wants you to grow, and where he wants you to take a next step. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for coming this weekend. And before we go, I just want to take a few moments to just highlight a few things that are going to be happening in the next year that you might be interested in. The first is actually we have a marriage morning. Daniel and Christina M are actually going to be hosting this. And this is an amazing opportunity to come underneath this teaching and learn how to win and stay happily married. They've got some great tools and great experiences and great um, teaching and advice to be able to go to that. And so if you're interested to learn more about what that's all about and to be able to sign up, you can head to Beulah.Family, click on that link, and you'll learn some more information. Now, as 2022 comes to a close and we go into 2023, you know, we think about this idea as what does it mean to be a disciple? We have these four words that we use and I've mentioned them to gather, grow, give, and go together. You know, and as it is always an opportunity as we come to a close in a year and a new one coming to spend time reflecting on the last year and to thinking about the new year. And so we've actually built this tool called the Practices Reflections that allows both you as an individual and us as a church to kind of understand where are we at as disciples and disciple makers? How are we gathering, growing, giving, and going together? And maybe you're wondering for yourself, what does that look like? How am I doing in that? And so you can go there as this free 
um, this free tool for you to take as a reflection, but for also us as a church to kind of understand where we as a church are doing this together. And of course, we talked about this idea of our offering and how we give together. This is one of our practices that we are courageously generous. This is one of our values. And so if you're wanting to take that step and learning more about how you can give to the mission of what's happening here in Greater Edmonton, you can go to Beulah.Family, click on the Give button, and you can learn all about what it means to give and the different ways that you can give. But in anything that we've mentioned, even in those four steps we talked about, if you're wanting to take that next step, we want to partner and walk with you. And so there's two main ways you can do that. The first is actually there's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. And you can fill that out and you can bring that over to the Welcome Center. And somebody from our team would love to be able to answer any questions or help you with your next step. Or maybe you'd rather do that online or if you're watching online right now, you just go to Beulah.Family, click to connect with us and somebody from our team will reach out with you. So other than that, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your 2022, your celebrations with friends and family, and we'll see you next week into 2023. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for listening, and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.